Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Bibles and open up to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay, there should be one in the pew or in the chair in front of you, and if you've got one of those, it's on page 1,168, 1,168, Colossians chapter 1, and we are nearing the end of our series that we've been doing since the beginning of the year, the series called God Is... Uh, that seeks to walk through Scripture and identify who is the God that we worship, who is the God that we claim to serve. And uh, just as a refresher, the, the whole goal of this has been that the foundation on which we build the rest of our beliefs really depends upon an understanding of the God we serve. And even with that understanding that clearly if God is God and I am not, that there's going to be elements that I'm not going to understand because he's God. But at the same time, seeking to establish a consistency that when I claim a truth about God, that I do so with biblical backing, not just self-constructed ideas about who he is or who I want him to be. And so today specifically, we're going to be looking at God as Redeemer and what that means. And a redeemer, or to be redeemed, is simply to be rescued. And we're going to unpack that a little more, but I want to read together out of Colossians chapter 1. And I know you just sat down, but I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word as we read a few verses from Colossians 1 this morning. And seek to unpack this a little more. Colossians 1, I'm going to start in verse 9. And I'm going to read through verse 14. And I want you to understand a little bit about the book of Colossians. It's written um, really as a letter from Paul and Timothy to the church at Colossae. And it's written as an encouragement to them to remember these things, to hold true to these truths, and to walk in step with what they have already been doing in the past. So this is a a generally positive letter with some reaffirmations and some reminders for them. And in verse 9 of chapter 1, it says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. Father, as we unpack this this morning, may your word ring true, and may you give us an understanding, a clear understanding of your role as Redeemer and our response thereafter. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, this morning, if you get nothing else out of this, and I say this almost every week because I really want you to hone in on at least one main concept that we see in Scripture. And so if you get nothing out of this morning other than this, I want you to hold on to this and process this and think about this in terms of what the Bible says and in terms of who God is. And it's this very statement. Biblical redemption equals deliverance followed by transfer of being. Biblical redemption equals deliverance followed by transfer of being. And I'm going to explain each piece of this, but if nothing else, I want you to remember this statement because as I've prepped for this this week, this is the consistent theme that you see not just in the New Testament after Christ's ministry, but all the way back in the Old Testament, you can trace God's involvement in this specific pattern consistently throughout Scripture and even into that which is yet to come. And there's great hope in the midst of understanding this part of who God is. But to start in this and to to begin unpacking this more, I want to focus us in on these verses in Colossians chapter 1 to start. And when we look at this specifically, we see in the first few verses that we read, verses 9 through 11, a reminder that as they have prayed for them, they haven't just prayed kind of openly and vaguely, but very specifically. They've not ceased to pray for them. And they've prayed for knowledge, but specifically knowledge of His will, God's will. They prayed for spiritual wisdom and understanding for the people in Colossae. But this is all done for a very specific purpose. If you look at verse 10, it says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to who? Him. Everyone say Him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then they go again. May you be strengthened with all power according to whose might? His. Everyone say His. For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of of the saints in light. And that's the first thing I want you to pull, pull out of this section. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. God has qualified us to share in that inheritance. And this goes back to this same concept of grace that we've talked about several times. That this isn't because somehow, some way, we have earned or deserved this. No, we are only qualified because God has qualified us in Christ. And we're qualified to share in this inheritance. What does that mean? 
Well, Romans 8 unpacks this further where he says specifically that you have been adopted as sons and you're therefore called children. And because children, you're therefore heirs, heirs with Christ to the promise. Romans 8 verse 17. So this whole concept of inheritance is a God-given blessing in the midst of all that's going on here. And Paul is using this as a reminder to the church at Colossae to say, Hey, you, we're, we're praying that you would be strengthened, that you would be persevering and equipped in the midst of all that's going on around you. And reminded that it is God who has qualified you to share in this inheritance. But it goes further if you look at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. This idea of deliverance automatically requires that you have something that you need to be delivered from. Now, the promise here is he has not just qualified us to share in this inheritance... And left us in the state of being that we're in. But that he has ultimately delivered us out of darkness. He's delivered us out of the darkness that makes us who we are. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we were once captive to our own sins. But in Christ no longer. And in verse 5 of Ephesians 2 it says that. He has made us alive together with Christ. He has made us alive together with Christ. Now stop and think about this. Because how often do we actually live day to day realizing that we have a need to be delivered from something? Now, right now in our current state, we're going, absolutely, we need delivered from something. It's felt, it's real. And yet, biblically, that has never changed. And yet, there's a concept in our minds that projects God as this individual who we only come to when we're in desperate times of need, desperate need of deliverance. And yet, the promise that Paul reminds the Church of Colossae is, God has qualified you to share in this massive inheritance with Christ. But not only that, He has delivered you from the domain of darkness through Jesus. That is, you're no longer captive, held captive to the darkness brought about by our sin, but are delivered from that. But in order for us to be delivered from that, we first need to recognize we need delivered, right? Now, the cool thing about God's character in the midst of this is He doesn't just deliver This goes back to this main idea. Redemption, biblical redemption, is deliverance followed by transfer of being. Look at the second part of verse 13. And transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He has not only delivered us, but transferred us to the kingdom of Established by Jesus. Now, Warren Wiersbe 
has a, a comment about this that I, I resonated a lot with this week in my preparation. He said, Jesus Christ did not release us from bondage only to have us wander aimlessly. He moved us into his own kingdom of light and made us victors over Satan's kingdom of darkness. Earthly rulers transported and defeated people, but Jesus Christ transported the winners. In other words, if you were to look back in biblical days where people were taken and transferred to a different place, it was almost always done when there was a nation that defeated another nation. We defeated you, we're going to take you into captivity, into our own land. And so it would have been those who were defeated who were transferred to a new place. And yet, what we see with God's people, both in the Old Testament and the New, is that in Christ, we are transferred as the winners in Jesus. And so there's a qualifying, he qualifies us to share in the inheritance. It's not something we do to earn that qualification. He delivers us out of darkness and revealed that to us in his son and then transfers us to the heavenly kingdom so that we're no longer remaining where we are. And the promise of 14 is that reminder that in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, who is it that we have redemption through? It's through Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. He has redeemed, God has redeemed us through Christ. Through Christ. Now, this is really just the first part of the whole in seeing biblically this concept of what redemption looks like. But it goes so much larger than this. And so I want to also walk with you through several practical applications of what it looks like to truly recognize God as Redeemer in real life. And I'm going to do that by asking a question and then there's going to be a response. And my prayer is that in the midst of this, you will resonate with one of these categories and go, that is where I'm at right now. And if it's not you personally, I'm convinced that every one of us knows someone who is in the state of being in one of these categories. And I would encourage you in the midst of all that's going on to use this as an opportunity to speak life, to speak hope and joy and thanksgiving into the situations and the, the people who are just in darkness, knowing that God has redeemed us in Christ. Now I want to preface this by saying, the redemption that takes place, the hope that we gain through redemption is only found for those who are truly in Christ. In other words, if you are here today and you're going, Boy, I long for redemption, but you have not believed in the name of Jesus to be saved. Then that is, that is the application for you today. The only lasting hope you're going to have in the midst of all that's going on right now, in the midst of everything unknown in the future, in the midst of all of that has happened in your past, the only hope that you're going to find is in the person of Christ.
And that's where it begins. But I don't want you to think somehow, and some of you may have experienced this, that when you come to know and understand the person of Jesus, that somehow life just gets magical and fluffy and sparkly. Because it doesn't. And often people come to Jesus with this idea that this is what it's going to be like. And then they become really discouraged the first time they face hardship and trial. Because they go, oh, I, thought I, I thought I was signing up for deliverance here. What did Colossians 1 say? He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. We are freed from sin. We are no longer in bondage to those things. does not mean we're not still going to experience challenge and trial here. But in the midst of the challenge and trial we face, when we know we're redeemed, it brings a new perspective, or it should. And that's where the application comes in. So, first off, are you in bondage? Then take heart, our God is the Redeemer. We often lose heart in the midst of what seems like perpetual bondage. But understand this, God is bigger than whatever you feel enslaved to right now. God is bigger than whatever you feel enslaved to right now. Now, to emphasize this further, here's what I want us to do. I'm going to speak something specifically, something that can hold us in bondage, and maybe none of these resonate with you, but something will. But I'm going to speak these because I'm convinced these are big categories that a lot of people are in bondage to, and I just want you to respond with, God is bigger, okay? So I want us to practice this. I'm going to count to three. I want you to, to speak with power and with strength. God is bigger. Okay? One, two, three. All right. First one. Fear. Money. Grief. Work. Sin. Psalm 34:19 says many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That deliverance may not look like what you think it should. But the hope is God is the redeemer. In the same way 2 Corinthians 3 verses 17 and 18 say now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see that transfer language again? Not that you're remaining the same, but you're being renewed, you're being transformed, you're being transferred from this place of bondage to a place of renewal, a place of glory that's rooted in the person of Jesus. And so, no matter what you're feeling enslaved to today, no matter what you're feeling in bondage to today, God is bigger than that. And He is our Redeemer, our Rescuer, the One who has already saved through Christ. And is faithful to fill, fulfill His promises. Every one of them in the future. 
And so I want to challenge you, if you feel like you are enslaved, if you are in bondage, then I want you to take heart because our God is the Redeemer. And there's hope rooted in that. Second thing. Do you desire redemption? If that's you, cry out to the Lord. You know what's so interesting about this is if you go back into the Old Testament and you start reading these narratives of God's relationship with His people, so many times God's people found themselves in bondage. And God was ready and available and eager to deliver, and yet it took the people crying out, it took them recognizing they needed delivered before God moved. In Exodus 2, 23-25, it says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew. And then the follow-up when God is speaking with Moses directly and calling him to be that instrument to go speak these truths to His people in chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 7 and 9, It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. You see how many times God references even to Moses? The people have cried out to me. I've heard their cry. They've longed for deliverance. They've cried out to me. I'm coming to them. And then you even see in the midst of this, not only God's promise for deliverance out of Egypt, but His promise to transfer them to the promised land. The amazing hope and connection there when we start reading the Old Testament with the New Testament is we start seeing that, wow, it's exactly the same in the New Covenant with Christ where God says, I'm delivering you out of the bondage that you are in because of your sin and I'm transferring you to a hope that is secured for eternity. The promised land for the believer in Christ is the new heaven and new earth that's promised to those who are in Christ. An eternity that's secure because of what God in Christ has done for those who believe. Do you desire redemption? Cry out to the Lord. Many times, we simply state that we long for redemption. But our actions and our attitude say anything but that. We state that we want redeemed, but everything else in our blood, everything else in what we do says, I want redemption, but I don't want anything to change. I want redemption, but I don't want to be uncomfortable. I want redemption, but 
God, I want you to, to do something in addition to that on my behalf. If you truly long for redemption, then we have got to cry out to God and recognize that we are completely and utterly dependent upon Him. That we desperately need His help. And that there is no hope for us in eternity apart from His redemptive work in Christ. The third and final question I want you to ask is, are you redeemed? And if you say, yes, I am redeemed, then the challenge for you, and the same thing Paul is reminding and continuing to encourage the church of Colossae of, is make sure you're not living as one who's not. Be reminded of these truths. Be reminded of these hopes. Be reminded when you're in the midst of trial that God is your Redeemer. In Galatians 5.1 it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The Galatians had a problem with wanting to go back to the old way of doing things and submit back to the law and the regulations. And so Paul was speaking to them specifically, saying, Stop this! You have freedom in Christ. You've been redeemed. In a similar way, 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And specifically here in 1 Corinthians 6, he's speaking about sexual immorality and people just not caring what they're doing. And the challenge is, are you, are you redeemed? Are you redeemed by the blood of Christ? And if so, live as one who's redeemed. Live as one whose hope is rooted in Christ, who recognizes it is only because of God's redemption that I am delivered out of a domain of darkness and slavery to sin and can walk in freedom and newness of life. Live as that. Live in that hope. Respond in that way. And church, we have every opportunity right now in the midst of what's happening to respond in this way. Are you redeemed? Then live like one who's redeemed. Live like one who doesn't have to fear what tomorrow's going to bring because our eternity is secure. Don't live in fear. Don't live under a rock. We serve the God who is the Redeemer, who's done the impossible and delivered us in Christ. Of all people, we should be the most assured and most peace-filled people. Stepping into the places where people are sick and dying and saying, we are here to care and to love and to serve because we have a God who has done so much more than that for me. And I don't deserve it. Now, I'm not suggesting that you just go out and, whoo, I don't care about anything. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I want you to ask the question if the average person in the state our culture is in right now is looking at your life and your response, do they see someone who's redeemed? Do they see someone who's already been rescued? Or do they see another victim 
who's in the same boat they are. There should be a difference, church. And we have every opportunity to live that out right now. Right now. Father, we know from your word that redemption is only from you through Christ. Lord, may we reconcile any part of our relationship with you that you would bring that to mind even now as we come to take communion together. Lord, ultimately, that we would fix our eyes on you, that our focus would be recentered in our reminder of the gospel, the hope, the good news that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into your kingdom, but that we were bought with a price. God, may we meditate on these truths and consider these things in Jesus' name.